Like the office they commemorate, presidential libraries are living institutions. Certainly it is my hope that the Reagan Library will become a dynamic intellectual forum where scholars interpret the past and policymakers debate the future. Welcome to a Reagan Forum, hosted by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. The Center for Public Affairs offers lectures and forums presenting perspectives on important public policy issues of the day from politicians, authors, members of the media, business and military leaders, and more. For the last nine months, we have been bringing you programming as part of our Auschwitz Not Long Ago, Not Far Away exhibit. Now that the exhibit is almost over, we wanted to share some of the most memorable interviews we've held with survivors and their family members over the past year. Each one is unique in its own way, told by survivors of many different camps in Europe and Indonesia, survivors who lived because they were hid, a survivor who lived because she was on Schindler's List, and so much more. The first story we are going to share is our most recent. On Tuesday, November 28, 2023, we hosted two remarkable men. The first, a 95-year-old survivor of Auschwitz, whose story of perseverance and optimism got him through the horrific time in the camps. The second, a 26-year-old Israeli who survived the October 7, 2023 Hamas attack. We brought the two men together to tour our Auschwitz exhibit and to talk with media about how Never Again has tragically become now. Let's listen. Since 1945, the entire world is saying never again. And we're seeing it right now, right here. They are happening again. The beach that I was in, it was 300 meters from the Gaza border. And I went there with my friends, we party. We went to the beach and we had a great night one of the best nights of our life. We closed the music around 6 a.m. in the morning and we went to sleep. And at 6.30, we woke up to explosions and to sounds of bangs and to missiles exploding. We hid everywhere we could. We were on an open beach, so there was nowhere actually to hide. After 30 minutes, I looked at the sea and I saw three boats coming at our direction and the boats were Hamas terrorists and they shot at us and they shot hundreds of rounds in our direction. And it was like in the movies, when the, the bullets hit the sand, the sand pops up, and we were all running for our lives. Uh, it was crazy. I'm telling you, one of my friends got hit in the bullet, uh, hit in the shoulder by a bullet. Another friend of mine got hit in the leg, and we managed to escape, barely. Um, but one of our friends, her name is Mo Gabay, she wasn't, so uh, she didn't make it home. My experiences during the Holocaust had such strong, strong parallels to what he experienced. And I wanted to talk to this young man and firsthand hear what he went through. And it brought back incredible memories of my own childhood. Uh, when the war broke out, I was 11 years old boy, and we were attacked from the air suddenly by German attack planes in the city of Lodz, where I was born, and they machine gunned everything and everybody inside. It was a sudden attack. This was the beginning of World War II and the beginning of the Holocaust. It was on September the 1st, 1939. I vividly remember that scene. We are witnessing that our best efforts not to let it happen again and having established a firm belief that we will never let it happen again. It did happen again. And that is why I feel such a common kinship with this young man from Israel. We are hoping that people that 
read this and become more aware of what's going on, that they will have a better understanding of what we are witnessing today in history. I'll tell you, I, I did this, uh, this tattoo because of the October 7th event. It says 20 out of 21 for my, uh, my friend who died. And I did it here uh, because it symbolizes the numbers on the arms of the Auschwitz survivors. So this is my way of saying never again is now. And I think this really connects to what David says now of our fates. That I have seen it come full circle. I've witnessed the Holocaust and didn't understand it. I was too young. But since I was in that Holocaust for six years and experienced it firsthand and lost everybody, I had a very good understanding of uh, what hate can bring. We have to remain strong. We have to remain vigilant and we have to remain resolute. Seeing the exhibit here and you know, hearing the stories, it really makes me understand that what happened in uh, October 7th in Israel, the stories that I hear, almost the same stories that uh, I hear in the testimonies 70, 80, 90 years ago. We set all our political views and our biases aside, and we are now one people fighting one cause. This is the way it should be. This is the way we hope it's going to remain. Watching those two men interact and engage with one another is something we will never forget. Now we're going to go back to one of our first interviews we conducted. This one was with Auschwitz survivor Tova Friedman, who went into the camps as a very young girl. She is one of the very few survivors who were sent to the gas chamber, only to live to tell about it. Our favorite part of the interview, when she explained to us that she tells her story so that it becomes our story to tell. To us, there's nothing more fitting to get at the heart of Never Forget than us becoming the portal for her story to continue. So let's continue to tell her story by listening to it. Well, first of all, I was in Auschwitz about eight months, which is a lot, by the way. Most people didn't make it. I was not supposed to be here. But I was with my mom, and she would tell me everything what was going on. There were the dogs there and the Germans, and, and I said, what's the smell, Ma, what's the smell? And she said, that's how the burning bodies. She pointed, because the crematorium was right there. She helped me survive by teaching me rules. The first rule she taught me from the time I was about four, no eye contact with any German soldier, I don't want the German to notice your eyes. So look down. I also learned to, when I see a German coming towards me, never to run because they would shoot you. And in Auschwitz, she really taught me how to have self-control and not go to the bathroom anytime I felt like it. You know, for a five and a half year old, not to go to the bathroom? I mean, it's unheard of. But she said, you're gonna learn how to control yourself. And I did. We were given a, a, a bowl, a tin bowl, and a cup and a spoon, and she said, you gotta take care of it because it'll be stolen. Without a bowl, you don't get food. So I remember hiding it. I learned a lot. So when we were separated, I was pretty savvy by then, by five and a half. When some people ask me to talk about Auschwitz, I try to explain, I just wanna tell you whatever words People say it was a hundred times worse. Words cannot explain this, but I remember hunger. Food was on my mind 24-7. Somebody once asked, tell me, did you ever think about God in Auschwitz? Yeah, 
God was a piece of bread. And in Auschwitz as a child, I dreamt. I dreamt about swimming in eggs. And I wake up and no eggs, nothing. People got together and talked about the recipes. While they were starving and had nothing to eat, they talked about the food that they used to make at home because food meant home. My mom was the only survivor of 150 people. Brothers, sisters, we have very little family. We who are Holocaust survivors because all our family has been murdered. So that I'm the last generation of memory and I was wondering who's going to remember us? All of you, because once I talk, I give you my story and now it's yours. It's a warning to see what can happen if you allow hatred, destroying somebody else because of color, sexual orientation, religion, whatever we're different. Because basically, my opinion is we are more alike than we're different. I remember asking my father, after the war of course, you saw the handwriting on the wall. You knew what Hitler was saying, he was in Poland. You know what was happening in Germany. Why did you just business as usual? He had a little business. You know what he said to me? We thought somebody else will assassinate a crazy man in Berlin. One of the lessons is there is nobody else. You have to stop evil at its root, wherever you see it, and it's you. It's nobody else. It's you. And that's how I feel about it. We met a handful of survivors who survived the Holocaust through the generosity of those who helped hide them. Our next interview is with Ava Perlman, whose father joined the resistance and fought in the underground while she, her mother, and her siblings went into hiding. It's a journey filled with courage and perseverance, as so many helped them survive one of the darkest periods in humanity. My name is Ava Perlman, and I've written a book called Ava's Uncommon Life, Guided by Miracles which recount my survival experience during the war. When things became dangerous already in 1940, the Germans were invading France from the north. My father's boss said to him, I want you to leave Paris, take the archives of our office and take them away south of Paris. My parents decided we have to put the children somewhere. And my mother found a home for children in the mountains of southern France. My mother came to visit several times, and the last time she came, she received a, an urgent message from my father, stay up there, I'm coming. My father had decided Lyon was too dangerous for him. He rented the upstairs of a house that was inhabited downstairs by our landlord and landlady and their two daughters. He also found three farmers who each were willing to take one of us children in case the Germans came to Autran. And on Bastille Day, we went up for a picnic to one of the mountains in the area. As we were eating, German planes flew over us and started bombing our valley. So we ran down the mountain, and my father decided that if he was to die, he would die with a weapon in his hand. So he and his male friends enlisted in the underground resistance forces, left the women and children to fend for themselves, and then Miracle, the Germans came to Autran, but they waited until the men had gone. 
thank God for that because they would not have made it. The next morning, our landlord called my mother from downstairs. We had one entrance to the house. My mother came down the stairs coming to meet two Nazis. They wanted to eat in the house and they wanted a place to sleep. The landlord said, well, they can eat with us. We will give them their meals. But why don't you, he said to my mother, give your bedroom since your husband is away. My mother had no choice. She went to the attic, spent two weeks at the window of the attic because she had no news from my father. She figured that if by chance he was coming back to Autran uh, at night in order not to be seen, he would come and probably uh, throw a pebble against the bedroom window upstairs to alert her to come downstairs to unlock the door. So she, she never slept. I don't know how she did it. I feel we were divinely protected. There is no other way of putting it. Um, and then she had a bicycle accident which saved her life. Again, just God sent, because had she gone on, she was going straight into German lines and the, the Nazis had completely destroyed the whole area around Grenoble. They had killed everybody. We owe our lives to several French non-Jews who helped us at the risk of their lives, including the Montonex in Clairefontaine, that house for children. Also to my father's boss in Paris, my father had established a secondary office in Lyon so that he was continued to be paid part-time all through our hiding in the mountains. And I owe such a debt of gratitude to all these people and, and our landlord and landladies who knew we were Jews. I always ask myself, if I had been a 10-year-old child in 1942 in that camp in Auschwitz, I don't know how I would have survived. I asked myself all my life, you know, why were we preserved so miraculously when so many people were taken and perished? And in my 80s, thanks to the March of the Living, I discovered that my purpose in life is to tell my story and to become a Holocaust survivor speaker. We are the last generation uh, who, who still can remember something from the war. And after that, even the people with a number on their arm will have disappeared. But it is important to remember, to remember the story, never forget. And it's um, important to, to transmit it to the next generations. And so the people I talk to, and especially the students, become my eyewitnesses. And it, be it becomes their, uh, hopefully, their job to forward the, the education, to tell them what happened. And I think that an exhibit like this one is, is absolutely excellent. More Auschwitz exhibit interviews after this message. The Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation is the nonprofit organization created by President Reagan himself and specifically charged by him with continuing his legacy and sharing his principles, individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy, and national pride. We must remain vigilant and work together to share these conservative principles with younger generations. Your role is critical to move our mission forward. Thank you for your continued support. Please visit reaganfoundation.org give. That's reaganfoundation.org give. Now back to our exhibit interviews. 
Back in November of 2022, when we announced we were going to open the exhibit in 2023, we held the honor of hosting 100-year-old Auschwitz survivor Joe Alexander. He shared his experience being on the train car to Auschwitz and what he witnessed while in the camps. Let's listen. I'm a Holocaust survivor from Poland, and I survived 12 camps. The boxcar who came here today, I rode in those cars four times. And every time for three days with no food, no water, no facilities. And when we arrived at the destination we were going, about 30, 40 percent of the people were dead already on the train. So that's why it's important for people to see the car, what it looks like, because they put 30 to 40 people in one little box car like that. When I was in Birkenau, I witnessed people going to the electric fence to get electrocuted. I saw people being beaten to death because they gave up. I never, never thought of giving up. I never lost hope, and I never stopped believing in God. And I said, I may have a bad day today, but I hope tomorrow will be a better day. But never give up. It's hard because it's something you can't forget. You always, I think about it every day. When you lose your family like this, I've lost my parents, two sisters and one brother in the Warsaw Ghetto. And I got out with a sister and a brother, younger brother. They went to another logic ghetto and I went to the camps. And I'm the only one survivor. Well, I go to the schools to share my story because I was told 70% junior high and high never heard about the Holocaust. So this is why I talked to all the schools, I've talked globally to let them know what happened. Well, one message is the only way you prevent is through education, because we know how it started in Germany. It started slowly, you know, and then it kept going on more and more. And then, then all these concentration camps. So we have to stop from the beginning. So we have to educate the young people to prevent another Holocaust. We also had the opportunity to speak with a handful of descendants of survivors. One of those descendants was David Scheinfarb, whose mother and father both survived various camps. These stories were just as impactful as we learned what it was like to be raised by survivors and when and how they learned of their parents' past. Let's listen. My father was born in Poland and uh, he survived Auschwitz. When I was really young, I kind of noticed I didn't have any grandparents and I didn't have any aunts and uncles. I mean, I was kind of resentful at what had happened, that my whole family was wiped out in Nazi Germany, on my dad's side, anyway. My father, he was a very religious man before the war, because I asked him about God. And I was, you know, didn't understand why we didn't go to temple or, or why we didn't pray over our food or anything like that. And he goes, son, what I have been through in my life, I saw my whole family wiped out, religious men going, praying to God for help and going to their death. This kind of God, I can't believe in. So I asked my father, uh, Moisha is his real name, uh, it goes by Morris, uh, if he would tell me um, his story. And uh, he wrote it down for me. 
and it's it's fairly short, but uh, I just like to to read it. If that's okay. June 20, 1994. To my son, he wants to know. I'm writing what my memory can bring forward as I was born in Poland on June 13, 1927, to a poor family. My father, David Israel, was a shoemaker, and my mother, Chava, helped as best she could. We were a family consisting of three daughters, Anna, Rachel, and Mania, and two sons, Mayer and me, Moisha. The war broke out, and the Germans invaded Poland. My entire family was rounded up and brought to the ghetto. I ended up working on the roofs of buildings. One day, one of the Germans struck me in the head with the butt of his rifle, and I fell off the roof. They brought me to a doctor who did something and made my eye blind. From then on, I could only see out of one eye. One day, my older brother, Mayer, was walking towards us, and a Germans shot him in the head in the street, and he fell dead. Shortly after that, the Germans put all the Jews on trains, and we arrived in Auschwitz, a big space to get off the train. My mother was holding my hand and said, stay with your brother-in-law, Leon. She insisted I go with him, probably because she saw what was happening. The Germans were separating the women and the weak-looking men from the young and healthy men. I hid behind Leon's back. I was very skinny. The line was getting closer to the German officer who motioned for my mother and my father and my sisters to go one way, and then he motioned for Leon to go the other. The Germans saw me and motioned me to follow my mother. When he looked away, I ran back to Leon because my mom told me to go. My family was sent directly to the gas chambers. I was given a tattoo number on my forearm, B6751. This is one of the pictures he drew here. It wasn't there um, about his experience in Auschwitz. After the war, everyone was looking for their family. I waited and waited. I looked everywhere for my parents and sisters, but no one from my family returned. The United States was allowing orphans um, to come after the war. He was technically 18, but he changed his birth date uh, by a year, so he'd be 17, um, so he could make it in the country. I was an accident. Uh, my, my dad didn't want to have any children. Uh, he didn't think that humans weren't, weren't, weren't good, and he didn't want to bring a new child into this world. So. Here, surprise, I arrived. You know, it, it affects it affects you as you grow up because even though you don't know it does. There were little things that happened, like when I was, um, oh, I don't know, I think it was like 10 or something like that, they had uh, Cub Scouts and I could join the Cub Scouts and and, they, and my dad said I couldn't join. And I was like, well, why? why? I wanted to, all my friends are joining the Cub Scouts. It was the uniform. My father loved Ronald Reagan. To him, he was the greatest president that ever lived. Uh, he loved this country, and he loved uh, Israel. He said he loved this country because of its freedom. And he's seen evil, and he knows what men do to each other. Both my parents were Holocaust survivors, and I want to share their story with you so it becomes your story. You can find all of the interviews we did as part of this exhibit on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash reaganfoundation. Once there, simply click on Playlists and choose the playlist entitled Auschwitz, Not Long Ago, Not Far Away. At the time of this podcast recording, there are 28 exclusive interviews and videos within the playlist. To find a listing of all upcoming events, please visit reaganfoundation.org events.
Thank you for listening. For more information on the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, including information on how to become a member, information on upcoming exhibits at the Reagan Library, and more information on the legacy of President Reagan, please visit reaganfoundation.org. And don't forget to like and follow the Reagan Foundation on all social media platforms. Until next week, thanks for listening. God bless you. Don't forget to subscribe to A Reagan Forum podcast in your iTunes or Google Play stores and on other podcast platforms as they become available. New episodes of A Reagan Forum come out every Thursday. Like what you hear? Check out our Words to Live By podcast featuring radio addresses and speeches Ronald Reagan delivered from the 1960s through the 1980s. New episodes drop every Tuesday. And don't forget to follow at Ronald Reagan on Facebook, at Ronald Reagan on Twitter, and Reagan Foundation on YouTube. Also, search for us on SoundCloud and Stitcher.